Mosaic believes that the church is designed to be a genuine community of people, creating a safe space of belonging for all, seeking to serve our neighbors with the compassion of God, providing opportunities to learn to be more like Jesus, and living life well together. This can't happen in a one-hour time slot on Sunday mornings, yet we desire to be a worshiping, missional community in Clayton, North Carolina. Visit MosaicClayton.com or find us on Facebook, Mosaic Church of Clayton. Well, it is good to be with you <clears throat> again this morning. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Do you not know that in a race the runners all compete, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win it. Athletes exercise self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly, nor do I box as though beating the air, but I punish my body and enslave it, so that after proclaiming to others, I myself should not be disqualified. Gotta pray that during this time you would open our hearts to your word and that you would put in my mouth the words that you would have for us this morning and that we'd be receptive and that we'd be inspired and that we'd be energized for the things that really count. In Christ's name, amen. Well, even though sports happen year-round, uh, I guess I always associate sports with the fall. And maybe it's because high school and college sports are starting up and the start of the NFL football season. Um, and so when I read this metaphor here, this sports analogy that Paul gives us, you know, I want to reflect on that just a little bit by way of taking us back to the 2016 Olympics. Uh, as you remember, it unfolded in beautiful Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. And no one can possibly watch all the Olympics. But, you know, we, we watch as much as we can. And, you know, with the cable channels, there's uh, always some devoted uh, random cable channels to uh, the uh, stranger sports, not just the primetime sports like swimming and gymnastics, but, you know, water polo and horseback riding and cycling and ping pong, boxing, wrestling, skeet shooting, rugby. Uh, I like the Olympics because it's a truly global event, uh, inviting all the nations to compete. And what you discover in the Olympics is that every culture, uh, all humans, like sports. Sports must be reckoned as, I guess, one of the oldest human activities. I don't know who invented sports or when the first sport was played, but, you know, I just imagine in my mind, uh, you know, one caveman throwing a rock and another caveman saying, I bet I can throw a similar sized rock farther than that. And that's the start of sports. Uh, we're competitive. We like to compete. We like to play games and see if we can outdo one another. I didn't play competitive sports in high school or college or even after college, so I can't claim to be an athlete, uh, but I do like to run, and since my 20s, I've been running literally every week, uh, you know, a couple miles at a time, uh, usually three or six times a week if I can. I'm not very fast. I'm not all that great at it, um, but 
you know, I like to run. I'm kind of like Forrest Gump. I just felt like running. <laughs> and that's why I ran. Uh, well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and so here I've got the, the Rio de Janeiro, near the Olympic symbols here, um, we get a couple of metaphors that he gives us. He starts out with a running the race kind of metaphor. You know, run the race so as to achieve that prize. And then he switches it to a, a boxing metaphor and says, you know, we, we, we don't just beat our hands in the air. You know, we're, we're trying to win. We're trying to compete. We're trying to do our best. The athletic sports <clears throat> makes an easy and obvious metaphor for Paul to use. And, and you'll see it on faith-based t-shirts and on youth groups logos and sermon series. You know, phrases like finish the race or fight the good fight. You know, picking up on this racing image or on this fighting image. Finish the race. Fight the good fight. Uh, and obviously we're on solid biblical grounds to use those kind of images. They're here uh, in, in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Uh, the Christian life is like a race in many ways. It is like a boxing match. It, it is like a worldwide Olympics with eternal glory at stake. Paul uses this image really just to teach us one thing. If you look back at that passage, it's really just kind of one thing he wants to communicate to us. One point that we should keep our eyes focused on the goal, on the main prize, on the objective. Uh, that's the point of practice and training and study so that you achieve the victory. You win the wreath. You score the winning point. You know, Paul tells us that everything he does is for the sake of proclaiming the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and not to lose sight of that main thing. Whether Paul is sailing by boat or uh, traveling by foot, whether he's writing letters or raising money, he's doing it to share the good news of Jesus with just one more person, one more family, just one more village, one more city. You know, and it forces us to ask that question. Are, are our eyes on the prize? Um, are we keeping the main thing the main thing? Um, is the kingdom of God really the, the anthem of our hearts? Is it the battle cry of our, of our voices? Um, you know, are we really all about the good news of forgiveness and redemption? Um, or are we, you know, are we beating the air in vain? Or do we compete as to win the prize? You know, some of this, it just kind of strikes me to the core. It, it stings just a little bit. It calls us up short, doesn't it? Uh, yes, Lord, you know, we are convicted by these words. Because um, it's easy to get distracted, isn't it? Um, you know, I, I had the opportunity to um, coach... Um, I guess little league or recreation league soccer with my daughter and uh, you know and her little gang of girls and you know I mean you can you can practice passing the ball and defending the ball and making contact with the ball but it was so easy for uh, those kids at that young age to lose sight of the point of the game they learned how to play their position well and they would do pretty good about getting the ball maybe about three, three quarters away down the field. But they never scored. They never got the ball to the back of the net, which was the whole point of the game. But I played my position, coach. You know, I mean, I, I was there. I, I passed well. I, I was dribbling. Yeah, that's right. But you got to score, right? You got to get the ball all the way to the net. 
I just wonder if, you know, God is sometimes up in heaven sort of shaking his head, you know, like a disappointed, frustrated coach. Come on, people. Right? That's not the point of the game. You know, have you forgotten how to play? Uh, have you forgotten what to do with the ball? Curriculum and Sunday school and um, in church newsletters and, and activities. I mean, these are all essential and important matters. Uh, but they're not as important as relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, budgets are important, but they're not the gospel. The Bible is important. But it's not important as the word of God that's speaking to our hearts. We've got to always struggle to keep that main thing the main thing because we're always in danger of getting distracted from what really matters, which is people and people's relationship with God. So it's at this point that I, I want to think about a particular example from the 2016 Summer of Olympics. Uh, we watched some of the various short distances, uh, the 100, 200, and 400 meter distances. You know, we were watching the 400 meter hurdle race. The 400 meter hurdle race is a really short uh, sprint. I mean, it's over in less than a minute. If you step away for j even a minute, it's, it's over. All the men who are running have trained for this for months, uh, for this one race, uh, getting up early every morning, you know, beating their bodies into submission, like Paul says, watching their diet, sacrificing other life goals uh, and opportunities just to prepare for this event. As they, you know, took their positions at the starting blocks, set themselves in that sprinter's stance, waiting for that gun to go off. The gun sounded. The sprinters jumped into action. But then almost immediately another buzzer sounded and everyone stopped running. Uh, this young man, Javier Coulson of Puerto Rico, had false started. Coulson was one of the racers who was expected to medal in this event and make his country proud. But he'd jumped the line. His feet came off the starting block just a split second before the gun had sounded. And in the Olympics, a single false start disqualifies you from the race. All the other racers get to reset on the line and run again. But you are asked to leave the track. You don't get a do-over. You don't get a uh, penalized five yards but still run. That's it. It's over. So the camera zoomed in a couple of times on this young man from Puerto Rico as he paced back and forth in the corner, pounded the ground, screamed in frustration, and cried. It was tragic. Moments after the incident, Colson told reporters, I want to go home. Uh, this has never happened to me before. I want to see my daughter. I want to go home. And I think back to Paul's message, run so as not to be disqualified. That's the image of discipleship, isn't it? Run so that you win the race and that you don't get disqualified. You know, when I think about this story from the Olympics, I, you know, I'm struck with a holy dread, we might say. Lord, help me... Uh, not to do this, not to run and be disqualified, not to, to false start, Lord. Um, 
in my own life, it's not the big things that get in the, the way of relationship with God. It's always the little things, the little false starts that end up losing us the race. Uh, just like in our little uh, recreation soccer analogy, it's always the little things that you know, help us, make us lose focus of the goal. I think of the story of the rich young ruler. We call him the rich young ruler, but the Bible never calls him exactly that title. Mark 10 simply says it's a man who comes to Jesus. Matthew 19 tells us he's a young man. Luke 18 calls him a ruler and then indicates later that he's got wealth. So we kind of combine all that and say he was a rich young ruler. But here in Luke's retelling, I've got it up on the screen, a certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Man, what we wouldn't give for someone to ask us that question. What must I do to have inherit eternal life? This, this is like the pastor's, uh, I mean, this is just dream question. Uh, someone walks into the pastor's office uh, and says, what do I have to do to have eternal life? And he would say, you know, you don't know how long I've waited for someone to come into the office and ask me that question. Instead of asking me, you know, where's the bathroom and, you know, how do I, I don't know, register for this. I mean, what do I have to do to have eternal life? It's, it, you know, it's there. It's on a plate. It's teed up. All Jesus has to do is just hit it out of the park. Uh, if someone comes to you, yeah, you know, we've got all kinds of resources. Let me share, um, you know, the sin and the cross and salvation. I don't know, the four spiritual laws or the Roman road or, you know, Billy Graham track or something. I mean, we, we, we just, you know, we're dying for this question. And here it is. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. He replied, well, I've kept all these as my youth. I just wonder about that response Jesus gives him. Is he, is he testing him? Uh, is he challenging him? Or is he trying to encourage him? I mean, you can't you know, read the tone Jesus has there. Is it sarcastic? Is it friendly? Uh, you know, I don't know. Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. It's kind of like, why are you asking me how to inherit eternal life? You know what to do. Honor your father and mother. Don't steal. Don't murder. What's the question here? You know, it's, it's, to me, it's like Jesus is, treats this man like a teenager coming to his parents with a simple, you know, addition problem or something. And the parent is saying, you know, wait a minute. You know how to multiply, subtract, divide, all that. Why are you asking me? Figure it out. Do it. And the man sort of straightens up. Kind of with a new sense of confidence and satisfaction. He says, I've kept all these since my youth. Um, so it makes you wonder again, is he wanting like the stamp of approval from Jesus? Was he sincerely seeking help? Um, When Jesus heard this, he said to him, Well, there's one thing still lacking. Sell all you own and distribute the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when he heard this, he became sad for he was very rich. 
Jesus instructs them to sell all of his possessions and give the proceeds to the poor. The man goes away dejected and sad because he's quite wealthy. Uh, the rich young ruler missed out on Christ's greatest gift. The richest reward of peace and life. Because it seems to indicate he clearly got distracted with his own and preoccupied with his own temporal wealth, his possessions, these little things in life. It's a hard lesson there. I want to return though to this anecdote I, t I told you a few minutes ago. Uh, you remember the one about Javier Coulson, the 400 meter sprinter from Puerto Rico who got disqualified from running the race at Rio? We want to be careful how far we take this anecdote or in what way we take it. It definitely illustrates the seriousness of Christ's call. Uh, we should run with zeal and focus and commitment uh, because you only get one life. There's a truth here. You only get one go at life. Uh, one time here on earth. It speaks to us about the cost of discipleship, about the commitment that it takes. But as powerful as this illustration is of discipleship, it's really not a good illustration of grace. In the Olympics sprint, there is no grace. You get one shot and one shot only. If you mess up, you, there's no forgiveness to receive, no consolation prize, no second chances. But at the heart of the gospel, it's just that. Forgiveness. A do-over. A second chance. The heart of the Christian message is something unexpected. This free gift of grace. That salvation is getting what we don't deserve. Heaven is the reward that we didn't earn. And it seems that's the real tragedy here of the rich young ruler. Jesus sees through the fact that this man wants to earn. He wants to purchase. He wants to somehow work for his eternal life. But what that really meant, it seems, is that this man wanted to add eternal life to, another, to his list of accomplishments. To one of the things that he owns and possesses. Jesus cuts to the heart and offers this man something that no amount of money can buy. Something that's free. But in order to receive it, Jesus asked the man to unburden himself of his wealth. Jesus wants to free the man so that he might freely accept what only our Lord could freely give. That's a lot of freedom there. <laughs> On the Olympic stand, as we see, there's a first, a second, and a third place podium. The athletes stand proud on them, all smiles and tears of joy. And when the judge has come, the athlete bends down uh, and extends his neck or her neck forward to allow the bronze or the silver or the gold medal to be placed around their neck. And then they can stand back up straight and say, I earned this. I won this. This medal is mine. But it seems that when the resurrection to eternal life comes, 
when the judge of all judges and the king of all kings comes to you and asks you to lean forward and receive your crown of life, your victor's medal of faith, you won't say, I earned this, I deserve this, and more. I think what we'll be thinking is, Lord, I didn't deserve this. I haven't earned this. Give it to someone else. Like Simon Peter there at the Last Supper, seeing the Lord Jesus drop down to one knee to wash his disciples' feet, says, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. No, don't do that. So we'll say, Lord, you're not giving me a medal. Uh, surely you're not awarding me a prize. What did I ever do to deserve this? Now that I stand here in your presence, I realize that everything that I've been doing is um, in no way deserving of anything. And yet, like Jesus said to Peter, unless you allow me to do this, you have no part in me. Jesus will nonetheless want to place that crown and that medal upon us. A crown of grace and mercy and gentleness and peace. And even though we didn't deserve it and we haven't earned it, we couldn't possibly live up to it. Our only response will be one of gratitude. Thank you, Lord. Which is why, at the end of the day, the kingdom of heaven is really nothing like the Olympics at all. No, it's more like coming home.